Well, it is so good to have this real worship with uh, real people sitting in the pew. Uh, on behalf of the congregation, I'd like to give our special thanks to uh, those who you know have come out every week faithfully uh, in terms of uh, you know a sound system and visual uh, system and and playing the music and preaching and elders uh, to put together this worship available for the last uh, several weeks uh, online. We thank you for that. And we hope that we'll be able to return to our regular worship uh, soon. So having said that, uh, we're in chapter 14 in the book of John, in our sermon series in the book of John. And we're going to cover uh, the first uh, seven verses. So you can turn your bulletins to, I believe, in uh, page 7, and or your Bibles to uh, John chapter 14. And would you all stand, if you're able, for the reading of God's words? John 14, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may, you may be also. And you know that the way to where I'm going Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you, have, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And thus ends the reading of God's words. Please be seated. So let's, let's pray. Let's go to the Lord in uh, prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, this Lord's Day. Uh, we are gathered together as uh, believers. Uh, Lord, we thank you that we are able to have this physical uh, worship uh, in the sanctuary. And we pray that uh, you will bless us and bless our people and all, also those who are worshiping at home uh, through uh, online and bless them as well to be able to uh, participate in this worship and engage in this worship. Lord, we pray that you will continue to lead us and teach us, especially in this uh, world that is constantly uh, shaken. Lord, uh, we pray that you will just uh, show us uh, the way that on which uh, we are uh, walking as pilgrims and where we are being led and headed. Lord, uh, give us the a clear sense of direction uh, in our faith journey. And pray that uh, as we are uh, handling uh, the Jesus teaching uh, to the disciples, we'll be able to uh, learn uh, from this passage, uh, each one of us, uh, the right um, teaching and direction for our life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, uh, chapters uh, 14 through 16 is the collection of Jesus' last teachings to the, disi to the dis disciples right before uh, his crucifixion. It is a summary of what it means to be a disciple and how the followers of Christ uh, should live in this fallen world. Now, the very first teaching of Jesus is a command and that is, I believe, so relevant to all of us. He says, uh, let not your hearts be troubled. Let not your hearts be troubled. Be uh, troubled. It sounds 
I usually find, uh, find this verse sounds you know, very comforting and encouraging uh, because this is exactly what we want and what we need. As a matter of fact, people will do anything and everything in order not to be troubled in their hearts. We try to have a positive, positive thoughts or listen to good music or read, read God's word and pray uh, in order to keep our hearts from being troubled. However, the truth of the matter is that we don't always succeed in our constant efforts to keep our hearts from being troubled because there are a million different reasons, both known and unknown, by which our hearts could be troubled. So it is one thing to hear this encouraging admonition of Jesus, but it is totally another uh, to put this into practice. So the big question we want to ask Uh, with which we want to approach this text is this. How can we keep our hearts from being troubled? Now, under this big question, we'd like to begin by asking a question that may sound somewhat disrespectful to Jesus our Lord. Uh, Of course, that's not our intent. We do respect Him uh, because He's God and He's our Lord. We do trust in His teaching. But the question is, was Jesus' heart never been troubled? Was Jesus' never Jesus' heart never troubled? Did he never, never lose peace in his heart? Well, that doesn't seem to be the case for Jesus. If you can recall, shortly before saying this to the disciples, his heart was troubled, not just a little bit, but greatly troubled. His heart was greatly troubled by the thought of his imminent arrest and, and death on the cross. For instance, in John chapter 12, Jesus said, now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? His soul was troubled. He also said that his soul was in trouble because of the betrayal of Jesus, who was one of his dear disciples. Uh, A chapter before, chapter 13, verse 21, uh, after saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit. And testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you, will de- one of you will betray me. So his heart, his spirit was in trouble. So is Jesus commanding something that he couldn't even achieve by saying, let not your hearts be troubled? Not just Jesus, but Apostle Paul, for instance, he commanded something that he was not always uh, capable of. He said many times that believers are to rejoice. He says, rejoice always. Rejoice in the Lord always. And I'll say rejoice. He says in in another place in 1 Thessalonians, he says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give give thanks in all circumstances. However, we know from the Bible that Paul did not always rejoice. He couldn't always rejoice. For instance, in text 2 Corinthians, he said, Apart from other things, there is a daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. He was anxious daily and constantly for all the churches. I mean, for lofty reasons. But probably this is not the only reason he was anxious since he was also a fallen human being. Didn't he say... In, in another place, in Philippians chapter 4, be anxious for nothing. I mean, he said not to be anxious for anything, but he was anxious daily, constantly. 
And I'm not trying to accuse him, but the point I'm trying to make here is this. There is a gap. There's a gap between what is ideal and what is real. And we Christians are commanded to bridge the gap uh, by faith and applying the truth in our lives. For instance, the first and foremost commandment we have received from the Lord Jesus is to love, our, love the Lord our God with all our heart and with all our soul and with all our mind. Now, I can say with certainty that we will never be able to keep this commandment. I don't remember any time that any day that I loved my Lord God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind. However, we try to love our God as much as we can. We try to bridge the gap between the ideal and real. And that's what we are commanded to do. Because when we neglect to do this, we will just fall prey to this fallen, cold, harsh reality. So when Jesus, who has experienced troubles in his heart, when he says, let not your hearts be troubled, it is a gentle invitation to be free from being troubled in our hearts by believing and applying the truth in our lives. And he gives us, us the ground by which we can keep our hearts from being troubled. And what is it? He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God and believe also in me. Now, it seems that there are two commands in this one verse. First one is, do not let your hearts be troubled. And second one is to believe in God and also believe to believe in Jesus Christ. However, the command to believe in God is, it can also be translated as an imperative. Uh, I mean, is, is, even though it's translated as an imperative uh, com or command, the Greek could be also rendered as a statement, which means you believe in God. So it could be stately, stately differently like this. Let not your hearts be troubled because you believe in God and because you believe in Jesus Christ. Then he goes on to give us some specific reasons or grounds by which uh, the disciples could exercise their faith for keeping their hearts from being troubled. He says in verse 2, I mean, this can also apply to us as well. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And, I, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. Now, my father's house is referring to heaven as you can imagine, and many rooms are places to live within that large house, heaven. He says to the disciples, each one of you, each one of you will have a room to stay permanently in the heavenly royal palace. Let me give an analogy. Now, the tallest and, and probably most expensive building in Seoul is right next to us, Lotte World Tower. And I don't know if you know that uh, there are um, not just office spaces in the, in the building, but there are many condos, many residential you know, condos in the building. Uh, each one, the cheapest one, costs probably you know, tens of millions of dollars. I mean, tens of millions of dollars, yes. <laughs> uh, it is like saying that you, know, you and I have a place to stay, to live in this uh, Lotte World Tower, uh, free of charge, 
permanently because the owner is our father. And that's kind of an analogy that uh, I can give you. Jesus says to the disciples, since his father in heaven has many rooms for them to stay, he will make sure that he will prepare a place for each one of them in the royal palace and will come back to take them home. Now, the question is this. How in the world it can help the disciples or help us not to be troubled in our hearts in the daily life here on earth? Of course, as true believers, we believe that we will be in heaven when we die, but that is too unrealistic. That sounds too far away to be applied to our day-to-day life here on earth. When you're, for instance, when you're struggling with, with jobs or with finance or with relationship, how is it going to help you? How is it going to help me? When we, you know, uh, we, don't, we don't really feel, you know, we're not really persuaded by the truth. And we feel often reluctant to accept and believe this kind of tr- truth because we are handling with tangible reality every day. And how is it going to help us? Now, even though we may feel like that, the truth is always right. We're not right. So we want to humble ourselves before this truth and approach, approach it with a teachable heart. Now, first of all, why do you think that Jesus mentioned about a place to live in heaven being secured as a means to keep their, their hearts from, from being troubled? Why did he talk about a place to, um, place to live in heaven as, as a means or ground by which they can keep their hearts from being troubled? It is because the problem of housing or the, or the financial problem is the most common reason, factor, that troubles the human heart. I mean, there are different reasons that can trouble human heart, you know. Relationship, you know, sickness and illness. But the problem of money, financial problem, is the most common factor that troubles human heart. The disciples were not free from this concern. And Jesus must have found their hearts being troubled by this kind of concern. They were mostly poor. Not just the disciples in the first century, but the financial concern is the most common problem for people today as well. It is the most common concern for Koreans, Americans, and people all around the world. You know, Hudson, Hudson Taylor, he was a missionary to China, very famous missionary to China. And he served in China for many years, and he dressed like Chinese, and he you know, ate Chinese food, he lived like Chinese. But I found from reading his book, that, uh, from, I mean his biography, that one of his biggest struggles while living and serving as a missionary in China was how to pay the expensive rent for his housing in Shanghai. That was his daily concern. Financial problem. The problem of of housing represents the problem of money. Now, some Christians are reluctant to talk about, you know, this uh, money or, you know, financial issues because that doesn't make them uh, too spiritual. 
that doesn't make them, uh, uh, you know, uh, too faithful. However, God knows what we are struggling with the most. In the Bible, you know, how many places are talking about money or wealth or poverty in the Bible? There are hundreds of places in the, in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament talk about money, wealth, or poverty. Because in reality, that is what we're struggling with the most of the time. I, I heard from some of you that... Uh, this is not a very happy time for you because the exchange rate between dollar and Korean won is going up. You're not happy about that. So that can, uh, you know, make your heart to be in trouble, you know. And let me surprise you by introducing one of the places uh, from the Bible. That's Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 19. It says, money, when I, when I first read this, I was very shocked that it is included in the Bible. Money is the answer to everything. <laughs> this is what the Word of God says. <laughs> Money is the answer to everything. This is from ESV version. I'm, I'm not from, it's not from NLT or anything like that. Money is the answer to everything. But if you take it seriously, it is also a warning to believers because the power of money the influence of wealth or the concern for money can easily control the condition of our hearts. It is true that money can do many things that are positive, but it is equally true that money can do many things that are both negative, destructive, and harmful. Since money can do many things, people believe that if they had enough money or more money, they would be much happier. Their lives would be much more enjoyable. I mean, we Christians are not totally free from that kind of philosophy. Yet the powerful deception of money can lead people to hell. Jesus said, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a, ne eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, by saying this, saying these things, I'm not saying that we should, we should not try to make money or make careful or wise investment. The point I'm trying to make it here is this. In order to keep our hearts from being troubled, we should keep ourselves from our natural and worldly inclination to depend on money for happiness, security, and satisfaction. Now, how... This truth can be a practical help for us in our day-to-day -day life. Jesus says, because you believe in God and believe also in Him, you don't have to let your hearts be troubled. He also says there are many rooms in His Father's house and He will prepare a place for each one of you. But we don't see the direct relevancy between our inheritance in heaven and our financial struggle on earth right now. That's why it is hard. I find it very hard, very difficult to, to be helped by the truth that I will have a place in heaven 
in my handling with my financial concern on earth day to day. So this week, you know, I did some heart search. Uh, that's why my family, uh, my children said, you know, to me, told me a couple of times, you don't look happy. What's, what's wrong with you? You look gloomy because I was, you know, struggling with these uh, spiritual questions, sort of like, you know, spiritual inventory, uh, you know, kind of thing. I found out things that I already know, but I found out in new ways that Jesus never promised anything in this world as a real and definite solution to our struggles in life. It may sound cold, cold but he, ha- he never promised that you would have enough money. He promised to, to, to feed you, but he never promised that you would have enough money. He never promised that what you, will do, what you do will be successful even. He never promised, sorry to say to the singles, but he never promised that you will surely find a suitable life companion. But in heaven, we're all going to be singles, so don't, you know. I'm going to be single, you know, so don't complain, please. Now, everything in this world belongs to the category of maybe, right? Maybe it will happen. Maybe it will not. Maybe you will find you know, your dream come true, but maybe you will not. And the problem is that maybes cannot save us. I have some concerns as well. They all belong to the category of maybe. But maybes cannot save me. Maybes cannot keep my heart from being troubled. Because of those maybes, my heart is in trouble. The kind of solution God provides for us believers for our daily struggle is the, is the unseen and spiritual one. And here lies a big problem. In the text for today, Jesus says we don't have to, have, we don't have to let our hearts be troubled, not because he will give us what we practically want in this world, but because he will prepare a place in heaven. So the issue at stake for believers is whether we want to strive toward being spiritually minded. Unless we discipline ourselves to be transformed by the renewal of our mind, our Christianity will just remain as a theory. I found another shocking uh, truth from the passage. You know, why do you think Jesus came to this world? I mean, some, some church people are saying Jesus came so that, you know, we can have a happy life. But I'm sure, you know, you people will not say something like that. You will say something like, you know, Jesus came to die for my sin, to live the life that I couldn't live, to die the death that I couldn't, you know, I should have died on the cross to save me. But... The passage today shows us that that's not the ultimate purpose of his coming. Why did he come to this earth? Jesus said in verse 6, I am the way. He came so that we can go somewhere. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, what he's saying here is this. He did not come to... uh, grant our desires in this world or 
or to sh- he, he or just to you know die on the cross. I mean that's 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 one of well, that's one big reason that he came, why he came. But he came ultimately so that we could go to the Father. Which means he doesn't want us to have our ultimate purpose and hope in this world. He wants us to have our ultimate purpose and hope on the fact that we're going to go to the Father. And the reason why this wonderful truth often often fails to be a real help, real comfort to us is because we are so earthly-minded. As I was struggling with this, the condition of my heart and spirit in the context of the sermon for today, a series of questions dawned on me. I mean, I had to spend, I don't know, not to prepare my sermon, but to prepare, to examine my heart uh, in the evenings, you know, in a room alone. Uh, my kids were knocking the door, you know, Dad, you know, are you sad? Are you gloomy? You know, just leave me alone, you know. Um uh, a series of questions dawned on me. I'm, I'm afraid to uh, ask this again to myself, but these are the questions I asked myself. Do I truly wait for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ? Which means, do I anticipate? Because the Bible ends with that statement, isn't it? Amen, Lord, come again. Lord Jesus Christ, come again. If that's the ultimate purpose and goal of Christianity, do I truly wait and desire and long for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ? In the context of the sermon for today, do I truly long to see God my Father in heaven? Do I truly find comfort and security in my heart for the fact that I will have a place to live in heaven? I want to ask these questions to myself again this week because at first it was agonizing, confusing. But as I do that more and more, I think I can see where I am. As I was struggling with these questions, the Lord took me to some place in the Bible. The first one is from the book of Revelation, chapter 2, when Jesus, you know, um, he, he gave a letter to the church at Ephesus. You know, you're doing this good. You know, you have, you know, good theology and doctrinal truth. Hold on to doctrinal truth. But I have this against you that you have abandoned your, the, the love that you had first at first, the first love. You have abandoned the love you had at first. It's a very serious warning. Now how do I know that I have abandoned love, the first love, or am I still in, in, in love with him? When you're in love with someone or something, you know, when you when you love to have your iPhone delivered to you, I mean I mean phone delivered to you for instance, you go check your mailbox every day. When you're in love with someone, you want to see that person. You want to meet and talk with the person. You dream about the person. You think about the person. You think about what, we, what you want. You want. If you want a brand new computer, you think about that all the time. 
if you want a better job, you know, apply for a new job, you think about that. You check your emails because you long for that. You love that. But the truth is that, truth of the matter is that this is very rare among believers these days. I'm talking to myself as well. This kind of true Christian affection is very, very rare. Often my heart is captured by the concerns of this world than than my love for God. I mean, sometimes we're mistakenly thinking that we're doing well because we go to church, we tithe, we serve. Especially a person like me can be easily deceived. I'm in full-time ministry. I serve God. But God looks at the heart. Another place that really pricked my heart is from Colossians chapter 3. It says, if, you, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. I do exactly the opposite. And the reason why we set our minds on things that are above is because we are idolaters. Because in the same chapter, verse 5, talks about covetousness, idolatry. That's why we read, you know, Donald read uh, Exodus 20, the last commandment. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's, which means when when, when you and I covet, something that we don't have, something that others have but we don't have when we covet, or something that others have more than you have. It could be, if, it could be different things, you know. I remember a couple of years ago driving by Han River in Gangnam. There were many apartment complex. Hyundai, you know, Samsung, and I, I started thinking, I never thought before like that. I started thinking, wow, how come I don't have one of, the, one of those many apartments? I'm in my 50s. I felt like I was stupid, foolish. But that made me troubled in my heart and gloomy and feel like I, I was a loser. It can easily... Covetousness, it can, it can easily make your hearts be in trouble. You may not have a great concern for housing, but there could be a million different things. The whole point is this. You are longing for something. All of you. If you're a human being, you're longing for something, whether that be housing or relationship or better job or, you, you know, uh, affirmation. You're longing for something unless your longing is transformed into the longing for heaven. There is no hope. 
unless your longing is transformed into the longing for Heavenly Father. For when I thought about meeting the Father, I became more scared because I believe He will scold me. I mean, I do believe in Jesus Christ. I believe that you know, I have been forgiven. Don't get me wrong. You know, I, I do believe that I, you know, I go to, I'll go to heaven not by my works, but by you know, Jesus' death on the cross. I, do, I believe all of that. But I don't know how, how I can answer to his question if he asks me, what have you done, son? I'm not talking about you know, doing like great works here, but what have you done, meaning... Did you long to see me? Did you really have heart for your Savior, Jesus Christ? Or was it just a, just a, just a cognitive formula by which, by believing, you know that you're saved? Did you really have affection for your Lord? Did you really miss me? Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. Don't you believe in God? Believing involves our whole being, not just our cognitive capacity, but our heart and mind and soul. I believe that's why we need to have some time alone and ask serious questions to do some spiritual inventory to see, to detect the condition of our hearts. Questions like, do I believe in God? Do I anticipate His visitation? Not just His second coming, I'm talking about His, He can visit you tonight. Do I take comfort and confidence in the real way, in the fact that I will have a place in heaven? Because of that, I don't envy things in the world. Do I have that? I hope I didn't make you sad, (laughs) but I hope that we'll be able to ask these questions to ourselves because, remember, remember what Jesus said? He said, when the Son of Man will come again, will he see faith? That really scares me. But I hope he will be able to see faith in you because you do long for his coming. You do want to see your Heavenly Father, and I do too. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, sometimes you said it is good to be um, sad. Uh, It is good to be uh, repentant because godly sorrow leads to repentance which will lead us to true life. But the earthly sorrow will lead us to death. Lord, how often our hearts are, are troubled 
because we are so concerned about the, the earthly things. Lord, help us to be troubled because we're concerned about heavenly things. Help us to be really uh, troubled because we see the condition of our hearts. When Peter denied Jesus three times before the rooster crows, he went out and wept bitterly. Lord, give us that heart that we can weep as well because the condition of a heart is not acceptable to you. Lord, however, we do look to Jesus Christ, who is our Savior, who died for our sins. And because of him, we can still hope we will have a place in heaven. We will be received into your glory because of Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to be genuine believers in our day-to-day -day life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.